Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS with Fiona and today I'm trying something completely new. I'm making this podcast as a video and uploading the video. So if you can see the video, I'm not quite sure how it works. You'll be able to see what I'm looking at on the screen as I'm talking you through uh, a lot of uh, IELTS tips. I've got a lot to catch up on. Um, we're coming to the last week of the Writing Task 1 Bootcamp in the Members Academy. So I've completely remade the course and it's looking fantastic, but it's taken a lot of time. So I am sorry that I've been away for a while, but I'm back with lots of tips. And they date back to November the 21st. So you know on my website, in the menu, there's a thing that's called What's New?, and the tips are just too good to miss. I know you prefer, I can see from the analytics that when I talk about a reading text or a listening text, those are a lot more popular. But every day I post something that I think is either really useful or really interesting. And all of those tips are just going to go to waste on my site if you don't see them. So I wanted this to be a way for you to find them. So just go, what I'm gonna do now is go to my website and I'm clicking on November. I'm gonna start on November 22nd and it's a tip about the phrasal verb or the expression, go ahead or to give someone the go ahead. This language came from a reading and it was essential for getting the uh, correct answer. So, for example, if you say, is it okay if I borrow your phone? And you say, sure, go ahead. It means please proceed. So, go ahead with a project means you proceed as planned. And this was in a reading text, which is on my site, about uh, the Mary Rose and the question was, uh, it was agreed that the hull, the, the ship of the Mary Rose ship, should be raised. And you had to match the date when this happened. In the text, it said, while the original aim was to raise the hull, the operation was not given the go-ahead until January 1982. So January 1982 would be the correct answer. Do notice another interesting thing about this. So when they're phrasal expressions, the stress will come on the verb. So yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But when it's a noun, it goes on the noun form. So the go ahead, he gave me the go ahead. So it goes on, it turns into a noun and it's on the first syllable as in most nouns. So you get the go ahead as an expression or you say, yeah, sure, go ahead. So there's a, a difference in stress. So that was November 22nd. Let's have a look at the 23rd of November. Now, this one's about Boris Johnson. I've got so many about Boris Johnson, unfortunately. This one was a particularly bad example of him speaking. And, you know, he hesitates a lot and he thinks this is funny and part of his character that he goes, uh, blah, 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 and doesn't, and 
doesn't know what to say. And yet you and me, (laughs) we are judged by the way we speak when you go to a IELTS interview. If you're as hesitant as he is, then you won't get band nine. And he's had the best education that money can buy. He's been to Eton and Oxford private schools, lived in an English-speaking environment all his life, persuaded half the country to vote for him. But in this presentation that he gave, people said it was shambolic. And that's a nice uh, phrase, shambolic. Uh, comes from the word a shambles meaning a mess or disaster. It was chaotic, disorganized. He was muddled and confused all over the place. All of those nouns and adjectives. And yeah, uh, if you if you go to the page, you'll hear him really fumbling his words and hesitating, using really repetitive language. And even at one point, he was making train noises Uh, All the things we're told that we shouldn't do if we want to get a band nine. And yet there he is, Prime Minister. Um, If we skip to, oh, day November the 25th. This is an interesting one. It's about actually, the word actually. Um, It's kind of overused, especially I've noticed when I do... Uh, speaking practice with the Members Academy uh, part one or part two and I ask a a question and very often the student as a kind of filler or a way of thinking maybe says well actually and actually has a very specific use and it means in fact or really for emphasizing what is really true or what really happened for example um I've spoken to him on the phone, but I've never actually met him. I haven't met him in person, not really. And you can use it to emphasize that something is surprising. So some patients actually got worse after receiving treatment. They actually got worse. That's quite surprising. Um, You can use it for expressing an opposing opinion or correcting what someone has said. For example, native speakers always get band nine in the writing test. Actually, you're wrong. It's that kind of, actually, that's not right. Many native speakers get seven in the writing test. And the final use is when you want to admit something. Did you eat any chocolate over the Christmas break? Yes, quite a lot, actually. It's a kind of filler when you're a little bit embarrassed. Yes, actually. So the wrong uses are... Simple questions like, do you like cooking? Actually, I do. It's just not right in that context. A simple yes, I do would be fine. You don't need to use actually. Um, And then I made this note. Somebody said, I did a cookery course. Actually, it really helped me. All you need is and. I did a cookery course and it really helped. Um, and then somebody said, I download, I don't I downloaded an app. Actually, this app is amazing. All you need is, and I was amazed at how good it is. If you want to use it in the real meaning, you could say something like, people say that free apps aren't very good, but actually some of them are better than expensive ones. So you're like correcting the person, you're correcting the thought. Um 
So try not to use it as a filler and be really sure about when you use it. This one, November the 27th, I started uh, a few posts all about the rule of three or the power of three. It's called tripling. It's very often used by politicians or in, in slogans because it's quite memorable and quite powerful. For example, um, to remind people to look after the environment, you say reduce, reuse, recycle. So those three start with re, reduce, use less, reuse, use things again and recycle. If you can't use it again, make it into something new. And I saw this lovely um, poster on a bus stop and I thought this is so useful, the language for, for IELTS. If it can't be reduced, reused, Repaired, rebuilt, refurbished, refinished, resold, recycled, or composted, then it should be restricted, redesigned, or removed from production. Isn't that really interesting? So the fact that I, I always think of the Apple phones. I love Apple and the phones and the watches. Can we reuse them, repair them? Not really. Refurbish them, maybe. But how long do they last? Can we recycle them? Well, you give them to Apple, and I think they do recycle them now. But anything that can't meet those criteria then should be either restricted, we shouldn't be allowed to produce them or buy them, or redesigned so that they last better, or simply removed from production. And it's, it's a quote by Pete Seeger. And I absolutely love it. I love all of that language that's so useful and powerful um, in, in IELTS. Uh, some other ones I've got here are things like the Olympic motto. Do you know what it is? Is it faster, higher, stronger? And politicians using this technique, I'm going to go back and I think I posted a few examples. Here we go. So in the next day, November 28th, I talked about inversion and tripling. And there's a famous quote from uh, a, a Churchill. I was going to say a good prime minister, but actually, actually, <laughs> uh, recently I've learned a lot of very terrible things about him. So I've changed my mind. So I took a photo of a waste uh my, uh, lorry, truck, van that I saw I, and I thought it was funny. I saw it in Oxford and it said, never in the field of waste has so much been recycled by so few for so many. This is a famous uh, Winston Churchill quote from the Second World War when many people died and he said, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. I, I should check my historical facts here, but I think there were just very few um, men, pilots who, who died, but the, the impact of what they did uh, changed the course of the war. I, I should really check that. Um, but it's a lovely quote and they've used it to 
you know, because it's so powerful. It's got that inversion. What is inversion? Well, it's when you start a sentence with a negative, like, um, never have I been so annoyed. Instead of saying, I've never been annoyed, so annoyed, you start with the never, and this causes the verb um, to be inverted. So instead of I have been, never have I been so angry. And it's very powerful. It's made for a powerful effect. Um, Talking again, sorry to be political, but about Brexit. And there's this fantastic uh, poster. I've got a photo. Go go and have a look at my website. Um, It says, never has so much been destroyed for so many by so few and this is wonderful, wonderful grammar as well, because, you know, the, the few people that destroyed so much, basically the government, have destroyed it for the whole country. And um, there's a man called Mr. Stop Brexit. He's Welsh, and I really admire him. He's been standing outside Parliament for the last five years with these posters. Amazing. And never has so much been destroyed. Nice passive there for so many by so few. Um, Yeah, and I just really like it. It's really nice. Uh, And I think the rule of three is just a useful one anyway. You know, three main points, three examples. Um, If only I'll let you write more words. Um, The next one, you'll need to listen to this Um, it's about the word comfortable. Now, the pronunciation of comfortable is a common common mistake. People tend to read every syllable, so they say comfortable, comfortable. Now, this is how everything connects. This is how um, knowing the pronunciation will help uh, your, your listening. And I've got a little video there where I play one of the gap fills from the listening and the gap fill answer is comfortable. And you just hear it go comfortable, comfortable. Now, if you don't know how to pronounce comfortable, then you won't be able to recognise it in the listening. And yeah, can I play it? Can I play it? Hang on. As well as the criteria I've mentioned, They have to be comfortable talking about themselves. That's it. They have to be comfortable talking about themselves. And comfortable is the answer. In the gap, it says the participants must feel, and the gap is comfortable. And and the spelling as well, you know, it's quite difficult spelling. There's the A-B-L-E. Go to my website as well. I've got a whole lesson on when is it able and when is it able. That's another uh, nice uh, little trick learning point uh, I can give you. Um, oh, the next one is an expression which is American. And they say, do the math. Sorry, Americans, I apologize. But that's an American expression, do the math. Now, British people would say maths with the S at the end, like economics, politics, electronics, physics, statistics, genetics, all of those subjects have an S at the end. So we say mathematics. But in the UK, in the US, they say 
math, as you know. But when you say we did the math, it means that you, you worked something out. But it's often used quite sarcastically. Um, like if, if somebody... Um, Oh, let me read it. It says, you do the math. Can't you see he's just using you to get ahead in the company? So you're saying, come on, work it out for yourself. It, you know, it's simple. It's simple mathematics. So so it's used in that figurative way, um, especially when the answer is very clear. And I've got a link there that if you go to Youglish, my favorite place to hear real examples in real contexts, then you can hear uh, lots of people saying, um, you do the math. I think it was an email I got. It said, here's what you would say if we did the math. And it immediately makes any British person say, it's maths with an S because of the other subjects that end in S. Um, December was my Advent challenge. So, all of the posts in December relate to that Advent challenge. So if you missed it, it doesn't matter. You can still go and do the challenge. And uh, there's a picture on each day for you to see um, what the challenge is. So day two on December the 2nd, there's a gap fill. And it says, I something drive since I was 17. What's in the gap? I can drive, I could drive, or I've been able to drive. Which one goes in the gap? You've got a, a since, so that's a trigger word. I call that a trigger word because it triggers the present perfect. Now, if the verb is can, how do you put can in the present perfect? So, you can't say can or could. You have to change it to I've been able to. Um, and been able to is a really useful one uh, to use with different tenses when you're trying to say can, but it doesn't work in the present perfect or with modals. So you'd have to say I must be able to or I haven't been able to. Um, December the 2nd, oh, that's another one. Sorry, there was a bonus one there, but that was just a little request I had from somebody asking for a discount. Um, the next one is day three. So have a look at this one. Despite, despite space, rich, he's very unhappy. So which one of these is wrong? Not right, but wrong. Despite being rich, despite he is rich, or despite the fact that he is rich. Which one is wrong? Despite um, has is quite an advanced linking word and you have to know what follows it. So there are three options. You can follow it with uh, ing form. So despite being rich, you can follow it with a whole phrase, despite the fact that he is rich, or you can follow it with a noun. So you could say despite his wealth. 
but you can't follow it by a subject verb object sentence. You can't say, despite he is rich. That's a common mistake. Go to my website, look at concession, and you'll find a whole lesson on concession and despite and in spite of and although and all of those. Day four is about due to. Now, this is quite similar, has a quite similar grammar point. Um, NHS, so NHS is in the UK, is the National Health Service. Um, it's very underfunded. So NHS waiting lists are getting longer due to blank nurses, due to something nurses. So remember, we haven't got enough nurses because of Brexit. Everybody was rude to them and they all went to their own country and we miss them very, very, very much. Please come back. We love you. I'm so sorry that happened. Um, so which option is wrong due to a shortage of nurses, due to there aren't enough nurses or due to there not being enough nurses? Which one is wrong? Well, obviously, a shortage is okay. That's a lack of. So you can say it due to a lack of nurses or a shortage of nurses. Really good IELTS word. Um, due to there aren't enough nurses is wrong. It's, it's quite similar to the one we just saw about despite. You can't say due to and then a subject verb object sentence. You have to use ing again. So due to there not being enough nurses. That's a tricky one. Good though. Good practice. Okay. Oh, this is brilliant. Day five. So day five. This is still day four. Ah, day four. I went to the university where I work and I saw a brilliant sticker on a car. And it said, the closer you get, the slower I go. The closer you get, the slower I go. Fantastic comparison structure. And all of my students used it on Friday in their task one. And I was so happy that they'd mastered using this advanced comparison. Um, so... Yeah, this bumper sticker, like, oh, okay, so academic writing task one, you could use it to describe trends. For example, the older they got, the more time they spent reading. So this was about how much time people spent reading uh, uh, according to their age. Um, in task two, you could say the sooner we ban foss fossil fuels, the better the chance we have of reducing global warming. So it's really useful. And yes, I'm a slow driver. can't bear it when people break the speed limit or try to um, harass me when I'm obeying the speed limit. And I, I, I'm looking for that sticker to put in my car. I think that would be really useful. Or would it just annoy people and make people worse? Who knows? Um, day five. 
was all about if, even if, as long as, and provided that. So they're alternative words for if. Um, this, oh, this came last year. I did a Valentine. Um, oh, I'll get it again for you this year. I did this kind of Valentine card for my students. It's on my website. It's free. And it's about conditionals. And this was taken from a Nike advert. And it says, believe in something even... Oh, no, I've given you the answer. Sorry. The, the advert was, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. So even if it's quite difficult to find good examples of when you can use that. So I thought, if you can remember this one, that it doesn't matter what happens as long as you believe in something. Um, and even if it's the only one that fits in that space. So you can't say believe in something if it means sacrificing everything. It doesn't work. None of the if uh, words work there. As long as doesn't work. Provided that doesn't work. The only one that works there is even if. And again, if you find that on my website, I've got a whole lesson about conditionals from zero to mixed. And my conditionals boot camp is a four-week conditionals uh, boot camp going from zero to mixed. And it's quite fun. Um, Advent day six. Day six is all about few and a few. Lots and lots of mistakes and confusions with this one. So day six said very few people smoke. What does very few mean? Does that mean many or not many? Of course, the answer is it means not many. So very few means not many, whereas a few means some. And I've talked about it before. It comes up quite a lot in the true, false, not given in the reading test, where you have to decide if it's a lot or not many because the word is few or little. Um, day seven, December the 7th, is all about gerunds and ing verbs. And it's a common mistake. What's the preposition? I'm good mm, writing. Good mm, writing. What goes in the space? Good in writing or good at writing? Correct answer is good at writing. So just repeat, repeat, repeat until it sticks. I think it's a language interference thing. I think in some languages you say, I'm good in writing. Uh, let me know if that's true in your language. I'd love to know. On day eight, so December the 8th, I did a review of hyphens. When do we use hyphens? I think personally, I overuse them because they make writing much clearer when you put a hyphen there. Seems to be a lot less confusing. I'll explain what I mean in this example. It says, I own a small business. So what's the correct way to use a hyphen? And there are three examples. They all say, I'm a small business owner. Now, that could be confusing, couldn't it? Because do you mean that you are small and you own a business? 
Or do you own a small business? So where do you put the hyphen? And the answer is business owner is what you mean. So you're a business. No, no. You see, I'm confused now looking at it. Right. So I'm a small business. So small business has to go together. That's the meaning. It's a small business. Small business needs a hyphen and the owner does not need a hyphen. But I was thinking of the first example, which is me and I am small or short anyway. So I am a small business owner. And a hyphen goes between business and owner. Right. Okay. I think that's probably enough for today. I've got lots more to catch up on. As I said, I do apologize for being a bit late because of this bootcamp task one. Next month, we're doing a general training task one. So um, ah, that's another thing to think about. Anyway, thank you very, very much for listening today. And if you've enjoyed it, please do give me um a nice review if you want to, a nice five-star review on whatever podcast you're listening to. And let me know if you have any requests because I, if you've got any questions, I put them on my daily uh, tip of the day. So just go to my website and find what's new and your question might come up there and I'll happily answer it. So thank you. Chat soon. Bye-bye.